Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. If you're interested in David Tennant and listening to his voice, you can watch the new episodes of DuckTales, the new series. Oh, really? Because he, he voices Scrooge McDuck. Really? Oh, yeah. Well, he's, he's Scottish, oh, yeah. right? So it makes sense. Mm. Is he recognizable as uh, David Tennant? Or? Not to me. No, granted, the only uh, I have not watched Doctor Who, uh, especially with him in it. Oh, he, he, speaks, so with English ac- sort of, he speaks with an English accent in Doctor Who. So the only uh, sort of voice that I can remember is him as... Um, Jessica Jones? Yeah, I cannot remember his character's name. What was his character? They, I, I'm watching The Defenders, and they mentioned him. I, I watched one. I just kind of sort of watched one, one episode out of the corner of my eye the other day. But, um, but I haven't seen all the other stuff, like Luke Cage and The Fist or whatever the hell the guy are you do you think it's important to watch those before yeah. you watch defenders uh Kilgrave's character because i just Kilgrave, looked it up right. um yeah for defenders i think it works better if you have seen all of them oh, i haven't seen uh, daredevil but, either right okay well neither have i yeah uh so that, that that was definitely an area but i know enough about the daredevil character from the comic books that i could sort of piece together any anything that's missing everything i know about daredevil um, i learned from ben affleck <laughs> <laughs> probably not good enough yeah <laughs> so it might might help to see daredevil there I think I was less familiar with uh, Jessica Jones right. and Luke Cage. Um, I saw both of those series. Didn't see uh, Iron Fist, and it seems like it kind of leans a little bit heavier on Iron Fist. Oh, really? Yeah. So yeah, it starts with him, right? Um, at least where it starts out from. Mm-hmm. So I think it's it's probably worth seeing all of them. Yeah. Um, if you have a chance, case, watch Broadchurch. They've done. I think they've done three seasons now. of Broadchurch, which is David Tennant speaking in his native tongue of Scottish. It's a, a British um, whodunit mystery sort of thing, right? Where he plays a mm. a struggling uh, police lieutenant or commander kind of guy. Very good. Have you guys seen Luther with Idris Elba? I never have. Yeah, see, I've seen it. I've seen it on Netflix on the cards all the time. Yeah. Like so, you guys. So you guys seen have seen. You guys have seen. You probably know Idris Elba from uh, The Wire, right? Yeah, absolutely. yeah, no, no. I mean, mm-hmm. it I, see, yeah. it's funny because because I saw him first in uh, in Luther. I just sort of stumbled across it one day, and I, I like British TV shows, so I watched that one. And um, yeah, that's a really good series too. Yeah, I was shocked when I first heard Idris Elba speak with a British. Oh, really? <laughs> he's well, he's so good in the wire. Yeah. He, he just speaks with a perfect American accent. Yeah, 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 for sure. You know, a lot of the vocal coaches that teach uh, actors how to speak with American accents are actually Canadian. Is that right? Yeah, yeah that, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> You're all sneaking across Y'all. the border. You, you have to learn how to be you know, fit in as spies. Oh, that makes sense yep. to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So when they teach them an American accent, what do they teach them? Like a like a Midwestern sort of accent? I guess it depends on the role. Sort of but I mean, the like, like, because every, 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 uh, I mean, I hear it a lot. I don't know about you guys, but I can tell a, like a New York, New Jersey accent from a California accent from a Texas accent. Um, mm-hmm. There's a show that. Oh, of course. There's yeah. a show that Tam, well, I mean, no. 
not not the exaggerated sense i mean but the um there's a show that tammy's had me watching called ranch which is uh, ashton kutcher and sam elliott and uh, danny matherson from he's from the 70s show um mm. and it's about um the two of them play brothers and and sam elliott's their their father and um i got that right yes yeah, sam elliott yeah um but they're in colorado and apparently i'd read i read a sort of show note somewhere that the accent they're using on the show is actually wrong for colorado mm. yeah because because uh, i think well colorado based on you know say people i know down there their accents are not very strong right like you know yeah i, I was think of colorado as being kind of a neutral yeah accent. yeah exactly yeah. Yeah, so, yeah i mean and there there are cultural differences too like you know like the real heavy boston accent versus the you know like you don't sound like you have a huge accent mark you know do i sound like i have any boston accent um occasionally but not often right and then same with jaime you know, jaime you don't sound you sound like just a regular american i wouldn't wouldn't have said that you came from el paso or whatever but i think you sort of said el paso yeah. is on the california side right well i mean if you split the, the the country in two yes it's it's on the the california half yeah um you mean the state but it's definitely Mexico. closer yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 so i used to have a pretty strong boston accent and now when i go back yeah people say i have a california accent <laughs> yeah but how <laughs> old how old is. were you when you moved out you were like still you were in late 20s right I was 22, I think. Oh, when you moved out when to moved out. to maybe 21. When you moved out that way, really? Yep. Yep. Hmm. Uh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's some adaptability there because that should have been fully baked into your yeah. speech pattern yeah. at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Well, I actually lost it in college. Interestingly enough, because I went to college in Boston, grew up outside of Boston, went to college in Boston hmm. or really Cambridge. Yeah. Uh, and somehow lost my accent while I was in Boston. <laughs> Somehow, yeah, probably because everyone around me was from other places. Right, there weren't too many of us locals around. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Anyway, okay, I guess we're out of stuff to talk about, right? <laughs> Run out. Except here, I'm, I'm like, oh man, I was looking. I was like, where's Boston? And I was like, in in baseball, um, looks like oh, they're, they're leading place. the. Yeah, first place, yep. and the yep. Yankees are a game back. Oh, no, 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 it's like uh, five and a half games back, I think, something like that. Oh, sorry. It's, this so one the Yankees, is showing the... The Yankees were gaining ground, but mm-hmm. the Sox have just won three games in a row, and the Yankees lost three games in a row, so they just gained three three games back. So now it's, as of today, it's five and a half. Yeah. The view I was seeing is specific to the wild cards. So it was very confusing. Ah, yeah. Just yeah. watching my, my Mariners, who were in it for a while and now are drifting further and further back at four and four back on the wild card. Yeah. It's a pretty close race there. That's that's a lot. Four and a, four and a half is a lot of games in that in that uh in that crowd. So when is baseball yeah, season over? There's uh roughly thirty games left, plus or minus. That's quite a few, right? It's like a third. No, no, it's 162 games in the season. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, so it's almost over. So usually the end of September is the end of the regular season. And, you know, the the term October baseball means the playoffs. Oh, okay. Hmm. So it's all settled in October pretty much? It's all, yeah. World Series is is done by middle of October usually. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're right. This year has sort of whipped by a bit. And summer has anyway. Coming in. Coming into September already. The Blue Jays, I hate to say it, Tim, have been a pretty big disappointment this year for you Toronto fans. Yeah, I haven't met it. Well, you know, yeah, I see lots of people. Lots been... of people. I work down near the near the Rogers Stadium, which is now no Rogers is still called Rogers. Um, but um, so I see them all the time, right? Uh, yeah. People wandering around. Their uh, their record right now is sixty one and seventy two, which means nothing to me. Which so, they're less than less well, than five hundred. Less than five hundred. Yeah. yeah. And they're eight and a half games out of the wild card, which is pretty tough to overcome. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight teams ahead of them in the wild card, and only the top two get in. Hmm. That's a shame. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not too much concern here. So they're renaming our uh, our ACC, which is where the Air Canada Centre, where the Maple Leafs play. Apparently, Scotia Bank has thrown a whole lot of money at it. So it's going to be called the Scotia Blank Place or something like that now, right? <laughs> so the SSBP or something. I don't know. It makes no sense. It gets rather oh, confusing. So- I like. I don't even know what what the name of the stadium is for the Denver Broncos because it used to be Invesco Field and then they got bought out or wasn't it Mile High Stadium or is that the baseball stadium? So it, it is uh, at Mile High, but it had like a, a branded name first, like Invesco mm. or something. Oh, okay, let's see if we can find this uh, sports <laughs> Sports Authority Field at Mile High. That's fantastic. Sports Authority is in bankruptcy, aren't they? I don't know. Uh, okay. Sports Authority Field at Mile High, previously known as Invesco Field at Mile High, and commonly known as Mile High or Mile High Stadium. Yeah, these these corporate sponsorships change like way too often. It gets very yeah. confusing. Yeah, it does. So when are you speaking in Austin or how many? That would be, oh, let me get this, uh, September 30th. Oh, that's pretty quick. Yeah, let me get the link here. Is it a big conference or a little one? or Little. It's a one-day unconference style, but it's it's got talks going into it. So there'll be probably two tracks like it was last time. Oh, and there you are on um, the top row of the speakers. There's 11 speakers, so it's probably three-ish hours of, of, of workshop, like, directly time. And then there'll be some time for people to just sort of hack on stuff and, and demonstrate at the end of the day what they put together. I've got a, a half-hour slot. It's so weird that if you click on my, my face, it doesn't actually show my session. But you can see the, the abstract that I put. Uh, abstract writing, now that I re- reread that, does make it seem like I'm writing abstractly rather than writing abstracts. Now I see why, why Greg was confused oh abstract oh i see right yeah yeah oh. a lot of ibm people on on the docket this time Carl brown's working for ibm now not surprisingly because there's such wow. a huge ibm site in dallas right Mm-hmm. And this is this is at Amazon's site in in Austin, but but IBM definitely has a presence there. And I think when they were here in February, there were a lot of Amazonian folks. So I'm guessing if there's a part three, they'll probably have Tim Burks run that one over in um, I don't know Mountain View, possibly San Francisco, potentially. Yeah, he seems to be more focused on the city these days. Mm-hmm. And then I wouldn't be surprised if it was very Google heavily. So David Oakman is the guy I met at um, at RW DevCon. I think he's a fan of the show. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yep, I met him. Yep. And a meetup around here too. Yeah, and then Carl Brown. I've met him a few times at um, playing uh, Cards Against Humanity at Three Sixty I Dev. I don't know if you've met, if you've met him before, Hame. I've played uh, Cards Against Humanity with him, and that was about the only interaction I had. So yeah. I've not had a chance to talk to him. Yeah, yeah he looks familiar. Actually, I think I've met him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Somebody from let's see, so non IBM would be Tim Burks from Google, Luis De La Rosa from Capital One, David Hartman Silver Logic, guy from Vapor, Udacity, Quest College, and others, folks. IBM. Hmm. So it'll be a mix. But did you say uh, IBM or Austin's a big IBM town, Mark? I thought it was Dallas, but it might be Austin. Yeah. Oh, I hadn't noticed that this serviceless, serverless Swift one is going to be, I hope hers goes before mine, because uh, <laughs> I will be using um, the IBM Cloud Functions uh, that's built on Apache OpenWhisk, mm-hmm. because it, it should hypothetically be pretty easy to, to run a Swift function that all we really needed to do is accept a image and then turn around and call IBM Watson's visual recognition API and say, yo, give me the JSON for this, right. parse that JSON, and then determine whether this person is a celebrity or not, which is part of the JSON payload that you get back. What constitutes a celebrity? That's a good question. And I think that's that's part of the fun, right? Like when I was tinkering with the visual recognition APIs for at least Watson, I can't remember if I was able to get it working off the demo for um, uh, Amazon Recognition, which is the other competitor one, mm-hmm. um, at least that I was looking at. I know Amazon uses IMDB. I'm not sure off the top of my head what Watson uses, but as an example, uh, a YouTube star 
quote unquote star like Philip DeFranco did not qualify as a celebrity for um, Watson. Mm. And I can't remember if he did for, for Amazon. Really? I would, I would think it was whether their TD or Twitter account has been uh, uh, authenticated or not would make them <laughs> verified or not. <laughs> <laughs> so I might start it off fun and be like, okay, well, let's put my face. Oh, well, I guess I'm not a celebrity despite hosting a, a podcast right. of which there are dozens, dozens of us that listen. Yeah. Um, and then choose, you know, somebody well-known. Probably not. It, it, I think the challenge would be finding a couple folks that will be uh, relatively diverse. So mm-hmm. man, woman, some sort of racial diversity would be good as well, but that are relatively recognizable and not uh, politicized in any way. Mm. Or or at I, least I non-obvious should, ways. I think you should base it on how much they look like a hot dog. <laughs> or not a hot dog. <laughs> yeah. You should have a picture of the Paris Hilton and Paris Hilton. <laughs> One is a celebrity, the other is not. <laughs> Even though it's a well-known place. <laughs> yeah. Which one's more famous? <laughs> yeah. Or who, which parents had a better sense of humor? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, on that happy note. On well, that happy note. Say adieu until next time. All right. See you. Okay. Bonsoir. Bye. Bye. And the fact that, you know, we won't have to worry about him starting and stopping the recording. I mean, like from a, from a guest point of view, it's pretty straightforward, right? You just, I send you a link, you open it and presto change over on the show, right? Yeah. I, I really like that. Yeah. If, if this had some sort of ability to do live broadcasting as well in some future, yeah. that would be pretty cool too. Well, you know, that, that's a good point. So, well, here's the thing. I was, I was, um, I saw a tweet by a fellow podcaster. What is his name here? Shout out. Oh, uh, the podcast is, or the, the gentleman is his handle on Twitter is not there yet. And I think his podcast is not there yet. But he did a piece on why he thought Apple was getting into podcasting, right? Because we talked about this at three or at uh, WWDC when they had the podcasting studio. And I talked to somebody at Apple, you mm-hmm. know, my friend who works for Apple Canada was telling me that the, the podcast studio was booked solid, right? And and it was like, you know, each person had like an hour to get in there and get their thing done. And um, uh, it was very, very popular popular uh, venue, right, to do podcasting. So the theory is that, you know, Apple's getting more involved in, in um, like, I've always complained that, that podcasting is kind of a black box with Apple because it grew out of, it sort of grew as a grassroots sort of thing out of the iPod itself, right? Um, yeah. And they just, I guess they just must have made this way of, you know, doing these sort of, what do you call it, cable access TV show kind of, you know, record your own podcast, gra- you know, grow your own podcast kind of thing. And one of the promises in, in um, that they added in just before WWDC is the, the fact that we can now register our podcast with them and, and create like an account for it like we do with an app, right? So when I log into my mm-hmm. iTunes account, I also see, I don't just see my 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 apps, I also see the podcast. And, and eventually there's going to be some analytics being thrown in there. Which I think we talked about that, or they talked about that at WWDC, right? Um, so it sounds it sounds like they may be, you know, taking podcasting a little bit more seriously, right? And, and it's, you know, podcasting is growing leaps and bounds, right? Uh, I'm seeing yeah. more and more tech podcasts podcasts, you know, uh, they come and they go, but, you know, a lot of Swift podcasts. And I think people who are the sort of what I consider the pundits of the industry are getting into podcasting quite a bit, right? You know, I mean, beyond, you know, Daniel Jalkett and Menton Reese and Joseph Linsky and Charles Perry, you know, and of course, you know, the the Accidental Talk Tech Podcast folks, um, you know, there's quite a few, uh, what's Build, what's the one that your buddy from Texas uh, is in? Um, I think somebody closed the door. <laughs> um, what was his name? 
named Dan, Dave. David Oaken? Is that who you're... No, it's a guy from Texas. He had a big tattoo of Texas on his forearm or his bicep. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, he, he, they do... Uh, I see his uh, face. Oh, my God. What He, he worked on the Swift Argo, um, the JSON uh, parsing thing. What, what's his name? Yeah, I know. I know. I'm totally drawing a blank on him. Anyway, he, he has a podcast he does with somebody somebody else. So it's like Build build Environment. Or run, it's not like Run Loop. It's like the... It's, it has something to do with building apps, right? Or, or running builds. Right. Um, yeah, I think I, maybe if I go to iTunes, I can look at, look at see it again. But anyway, he, you know, there's him. And then there's, like, there's more and more people getting into podcasting. And, and of course, you know, on the radio side, you know, uh, Strombo has his own radio show. But some of the people that, that he works with are starting to do podcasts as well. Like uh, there's a gentleman named um, Bob Makowitz, who's been a long time in radio, but he's more sports radio. So he's got a sports podcast now that they started up a couple of months ago. And I mean, you know, when a when a celebrity gets into podcasting, one that sort of says that's good for podcasting, but it also makes it more challenging for the rest of us to sort of grab audience attention, right? So, and all of our CBC uh, TV sh- or CBC radio shows, you know, which because radio is, I think radio is kind of suffering the same thing that newspaper and magazines did for a while, where as everything got digital and you know we have this whole YouTube culture, um, radio like live radio bro- live broadcast radio is kind of becoming a thing of the past. People aren't sitting down and listening to the radio when the show's on so rather than do that they you know a lot of these shows are taped and then they so they publish the show as a podcast so um mm-hmm. there's one podcast i listen to which is normally on at 11 o'clock in the morning on saturday and i'm i'm in i'm hip deep in, in editing a podcast but like on thursday night they publish the podcast so i can listen to it ahead of time or i can listen to it anytime during the week right kind of thing right and there's another um uh, sort of tech podcast called uh, spark which i listen to as well and that's normally published on Sunday live, but it's a podcast as well. So a lot of our CBC radio shows are now becoming podcasts and you can, you know, they advertise during the show that you can either listen to it on Sirius radio or you can listen on CBC radio across the country or download the podcast kind of thing. Right. So there's even a podcast show on CBC where they, where they review podcasts. So and it, <laughs> it's good. It's starting to get a little meta there. Yeah. Well, when you start having the re- stuff that reviews it its own and, and I get what you're saying, like NPR puts just about every one of their radio broadcasts right, on like right. i listen to um looks like planet money is, is great I, I have no clue when that show comes out like live like so i don't need to know i don't i don't i don't care right like the beautiful thing about podcasting as opposed to radio is that it's time shift and i can listen when i'm available right like maybe i'm not available at, at uh, i don't know tuesdays from 2 to 3 p.m eastern like, oh okay uh, i can listen to this when i'm walking my dog or mowing the lawn or doing yeah, whatever yeah. so and i think we've found that a lot of our fans do the same thing too right i mean we we could hypothetically do you know live streaming and i'm sure there would be a number of folks who do that but i mean that's not something that everybody can do and that's not something that everybody wants to do and even just time zone stuff right we have fans in russia and brazil and all these other places that aren't exactly you know good times to you know sit and listen right like e- even when we record it's like okay well let's find something that's not too difficult for the east and west coast much less oh guess what it's like three in the morning when the podcast right. <laughs> podcast yeah. starts over in like zimbabwe yeah. or something right like <laughs> that's brutal it's much better for some folks to just you know listen 
Jason when they have the time and availability. So here's something we don't talk, we haven't talked about this on the show before, but since we're in the after show, we'll probably get on the show. But so you know how you can search in iTunes uh, for iOS development and, and more than just code comes up like number one worldwide and has for like the last year and a half, right? Mm-hmm. You know that, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. I'm telling people there who don't know about it. I just searched for Swift development and guess what? What? We come up third. We come up third. That's actually not too bad because there are podcasts with Swift in their name. Yeah. Yeah. So let's see here. Uh, where This is so bad. I don't use the Apple podcast app. I use, <laughs> well, I'm I use using, Overcast. I'm using, iTunes. It's, I'm using iTunes itself, like the iTunes app on my Mac. All right. Let me, let me try this. Yeah, Swift. Yeah. Oh, this is an interesting list. So yes, we do come out third, but number one for me, when I see here is iOS dev break with Evan K. Stone. Right. Yep. Uh, yep. Let it out with Katie Dalebout, uh, a Who's holistic, <laughs> a holistic health lover, uh, apparently. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. And then more than just code is third there. Right. Right. But in the list of episodes, we were like, we have uh, four shows listed there. That's great. But again, I don't know how people, how people actually search for stuff. And, and actually, I think we were, I can't remember who I was talking to about the, um, I think I was talking to you guys about the statistics and, and, oh no, it was on, it was on, uh, that, that podcast I was talking about. It was a rather interesting little piece and I retweeted it because I thought it was, if people are into podcasting and a few people are, they would uh, be interested in this piece because he also uses, um, yeah, it's his NY, NTY essays is the account. Yeah. Not there yet. Oh, in, in T-Y, duh. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's um, he's got this little podcast where he does a blog, and then it, uh, uh, I think he uses Fireside, and it's a short blog, and then to, to listen to the rest of the blog, you click on it and you listen to his podcast, right? Um, and it's just a short thing. It's like, I think it's maybe 12 minutes. And one of the things he was talking about was was uh, the metrics of downloads. And, and, you know, I think we've talked about this before. It's like, I, you know, if I publish at noon on sun- Saturday by about 2 or 3 in the afternoon, I can start to see, you know, three, 400 uh, episodes have been downloaded, right? And a lot of those are um, clients like Overcast and Podcast App. And, you know, I don't know what the other podcasters catchers do, like Castro and that kind of stuff. But they download the show in the background while again we're talking about backgrounding at the top of the show right mm-hmm. but that's so that that may that isn't necessarily somebody actually watching um, or listening to the show that's just their podcast or downloading it but by by the next day you know we've got like 1300 1400 and up to 2000 you know people have listened to the show over a week or two right so but he was saying that a lot of those early numbers are just the automation of of apps or apps downloading and people may have forgotten that they at one point clicked the subscribe thing in, in Overcast. Like I don't know about you, but I, I only have about five or six shows that I'm actually subscribed to on Overcast. I don't, you know, ours included and Tammy's, right? But uh, oh wow, that's that's actually shows. quite different for me, Tim. I have yeah. uh, a real time follow up. I'll count them and then I'll say no. But, but go ahead and continue because I think that that's actually quite interesting. That because like when you look at the stats, you you kind of have to be on the pure downloads, right? Be on pure numbers, right? Just like there's a seasonality to a lot of businesses. There right. is a life cycle for right. podcast downloads is what I'm hearing. Right, right. So so what I have in my you know, I have I have like I guess six podcasts that I'm subscribed to. Sorry, seven. So I have, you know, I have Mac Power users, which I just, I, have, I don't always listen to them. Uh, then I've got the Macowitz uh, show that I just talked about, Maco and Cause podcast, and I've only listened to a couple of episodes. I'm not a big sports guy, so I probably will unsubscribe from that at some point in the future. Uh, Taggart and Torrens, um, and then of course, Under the Influence, which is the um, Terry O'Reilly show that I talked about. And then I have a bunch of uh, shows in the backlog that I just, you know, I have them here. I, I may listen to them from time to time. Like I've got uh, Accidental Tag 
Impact Podcast, Coco Comp, Core Intuition, um, More Than Just Code, Playgrounds uh, Podcast, because I think Greg was on that one. Podcast Method, which is uh, Dan Benjamin's old podcast, right? Um, mm-hmm. Agile Betty's, so I, I apologize, I haven't been listening to that one. <laughs> Ray Winderlake, which is in, in hiatus, hiatus right now. You know, Roundabout, uh, Swift Coders. Which I just started listening to Swift, Swift Coders since I was on the show. And then a podcast called WTF by Mark Marin, who's a comedian, does interesting stuff. That's what I have in my in my podcast app. What do you have in yours? Tim, the, I counted them up. You, you don't want me to enumerate them like you just did. It is 47. 47. So do you listen to, how many podcasts do you listen to a week? I have no idea because the thing about these 47 subscriptions, I'd have to look through and see. Some of these haven't updated for a while, so I don't recall if they're on hiatus. You know, just like the Ray Render, like one has a season to it that they, they go on a break right, for yeah. a while and they, then they do, I don't know, 10-ish, 12-ish episodes probably in a row. Um, maybe more. Uh, some of these are for like TV shows that are on hiatus right now, like the Supergirl TV talk. Like that's not going to start up mm-hmm. again until August or it's uh, not August uh, until the autumn when the show goes back on the CW again. Um, of course, there's, you know, big ones that you might expect, like um, the talk show with John Gruber. I mentioned Planet Money. Of course, we've got Roundabout and Orange Just Code, Release Notes, uh, all sorts of random things like How Did This Get Made, which is a, a fun comedy one, uh, a Star Trek one called The Greatest Generation, which is absolutely fantastic they, they have wait so which is the greatest generation that is star trek it's, uh, star trek the next generation is what they're covering and they have gone uh, they're they're almost done they're in the seventh season now they've gone episode by episode giving sort of uh, recaps and great comedy takes on the various episodes and apparently okay. soon they'll be doing the same with deep space nine so it has wow. got me wondering it's like wow it would be kind of cool to do like a star trek voyager one and maybe even a star trek discovery one because that show is about to start relatively soon yeah, yeah. It's funny. I was watching Star Trek on Netflix. I just noticed it's on Netflix now. I used to watch that all the time when I was a kid, right? Because it was in reruns constantly. Um, but you know what really bothers me about Star Trek as it is now? They've gone through and they've made them all mm-hmm. high res, right? They've all you know, res them all up, and I guess they were because they were originally done on film. But they they George Lucas the the outdoor shots of this of the you know they had all those models and those you know um, planets that they would orbit. Mm-hmm. And they were kind of like hokey, but they were believable somehow, you know, because they were they weren't motion capture or whatever they were actually really you know objects that were filmed in in, in uh, a studio they've gone through and they've redone those even even the title part you know where the, where the, sh- the sh- uh, ship comes whipping by you know really quickly you know um there was some there was a naivete to those original kind of um special effects that i really liked and i really i don't like the fact that they've changed all those with uh with new 3d effects i, I talked about this on roundabout a couple of weeks ago but uh what do you think about that have you watched the new star trek at all or i don't think i've seen like i haven't sat down and watched I'm those. Talking about kirk and spock and those guys oh no i've sure. seen those but what you're talking about is the um special edition sort of style of, yeah, of, yeah. of updated graphics. I don't I think I've hope. seen no, exactly. episodes with the updated graphics. I'd have to check and see, but that's definitely the they sort They came out with a box set on DVD or Blu-ray a couple of years ago, a couple of three years ago, and now they're on Netflix, right? So, I, I you know, again, you know, Greedo didn't shoot first, right? Yeah, I mean, that was like <laughs> full-on changing the story. In this case, it's uh, they've not changed the story, they've changed the special effects, so they're hypothetically like not as embarrassing as they might have been to, like, you know, modern eyes, but I 
think for fans that remember the original look, I think it'd be nice if they offered both. Um, yeah, it would be. Yeah. I'm reminded of the, what was it? It's like the 10 year anniversary edition of um, Microsoft's Xbox game called Halo, first right, person yeah. shooter thing, where that 10th anniversary edition or whatever, or legacy edition, whatever it's called, offered high res graphics for, you know, modern PCs. They're just beasts compared to what an Xbox would have been back in the early 2000s. Right, yeah. And yet also had like a mode where you could switch it back to, well, this is the original graphics. And it was really cool how you could just literally press a button and live switch between them to see how did they change the character models? How did they change colors? How did they change patterns? That sort of thing. And not saying you would do that during an episode, but it sure would be nice if you had a Netflix option of like, which one do you want to see? The original version? Or do you want to see the up resed, you know, greater uh, use of CGI sort of version? Yeah, I don't know. It's, 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 well, I mean, they've done, they've done the same thing on Turner Classic Movies. I've been watching a lot of um, uh, movies like, like, uh, they have, you know, Hitchcock movies or whatever. But yeah, it's kind of, it's, it's sad that, like, uh, my, I guess my point is this. When I go to the, Met, uh, the Muse- Museum of Modern Art in New York City and I walk up to the Damoiselle d'Avignon painting by Picasso, I don't want to see somebody's gone in and touched it up. I want to see the actual piece of art that that creator's hand created at the time, right? Mm-hmm. So, warts and all, I want, I want the original Star Trek that I remember when I was a kid because I watched it a thousand times and it bothers me every time I watch that show, you know, that every time they cut away to like, you know, the, the transition pieces, which is showing the ship, you know, orbiting the planet or what have you. Just, you know, no, I want, I want my Star Trek. Right. So, I get, <laughs> no? so let's break that down like, a little like, bit. So I, yeah. it sounds like there's some aspect of um, nostalgia that you want to see it as you re- remember it. But I also heard in there a little bit of like the artists respecting the artist, the original artist. So how does that play into, you also mentioned Greedo. Well, that is the original artist and creator who specifically made that change. Like what, where do you fall on the, the spectrum right. for improvement? Well, yeah, no, and I, I, t- I totally object to that, that, that change because I actually have on DVD an original copy of Star Wars, the movie Star Wars. It's not called A New Hope. doesn't say New Hope on, on the crawler at the beginning, you know, and it's the original warts and all print that I saw in 1977, right? And it's only on DVD, right? There's no, there's never been any Blu-ray copy of it or high-res enhanced or whatever. That's the actual physical movie mm-hmm. I remember mm-hmm. seeing. And that's, you know, because, you know, when they when I think it went to VHS, they added a new hope as if, you know, and there was some talk about whether there was intended to be three movies or whatever. He was thinking of doing three movies. But at the time, you know, he had just done like American Graffiti and, you know, uh, that THX thing that he did. Um, what was the other thing he did? George Lucas. He hadn't done very right. many movies, right? And, and uh, you know, they, and even he didn't think Star Wars was going to be all that when, when he did it, right? But uh, yeah, so now there's this whole like, you know, lore and Disney owns them and, you know, there's all these books been written and this whole universe has been expanded. I'm sorry. Give me a break. The guy just wrote, you know, got lucky with with a with a, a film draft, which is like a western, sure. you know, like like star, like just and written on the sort of the what do you call it, the um, Joseph Campbell um, myth and legend kind of theory, right? So how do you feel? So I I, I definitely understand the artist thing, uh, like your example of you know uh, somebody taking a Picasso painting and going in and, and touching it up some way. But what if it was Picasso himself using that as an analogy for like what George Lucas has done with uh, the Star Wars? Well, see, uh, here's the thing, Picasso. Picasso was a true artist, right? He wouldn't have gone into a painting he did in 1913, in 1950, and and touched it up again. He would have done a variation on that painting in 1950. He would have left the original one alone. In fact, at that point in time, he didn't even own it. So I guess it's kind of a moot point, right? But 
Yeah. Okay, so well, so like on the principle of the thing, you're you're definitely against artists going in and changing their art once it's been uh, released to the world. Is that sort of the yeah? I mean, like line? like like it's it's you know um, like I look at I look at the the whole movie industry and you know whole recorded music industry and you know television as you know in their purest form they were expressions of creativity at the time with the best tools that were available. Right? I mean, so yeah, if you want to go in and make a special version now that we have the technology to do a better star wars movie make another movie tell me a different story leave the original one alone right like like i kind of equate the original star wars movie like a new hope as we call it now to something like you know uh scarlet pimpernel or robin hood or because it had that you know or even flash gordon it had that kind of feel of being a saturday morning serial movie right like i used to actually go to see those serial movies when i was really a little kid right but Mm -hmm. you know you i have you ever seen the black and white Flash Gordons that are, you know, they used to sometimes show them and, and they were, you know, it was kind of like, you know, episode four and, you know, here, they give you a recap of what's happened in the past and so you can just get right into the story. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, it, right? that uh, Star Wars has that feel very intentionally. That was a huge influence, uh, Buck Rogers and Flash Gordon type stuff. Yeah, it was intended to be that and, and it was, but it was just sort of like, you know, hey, we discovered this film canister in the back of this, you know, cinema and let's put it on and watch it and that's kind of sort of where Star Wars mm-hmm. started starts, right? Um, and it's an homage to all those kind of serial uh, serial movies, right? And it's got that sort of crude, and it wasn't intentional, it's got that sort of crude um, uh, style to it, like the acting is kind of like, you know, Luke Skywalker or Mark Hamill talking to Alex Guinness is a little wooden when he first, you know, oh, here's the lightsaber your father yeah. intended you to have, right? And then it was all this sort of loose, you know, dialogue that that these actors said at the time. Um, I forget, what was, was this famous quote, I think it was by Harrison Ford, that says something about um, he, he said he taught he said back to George Lucas like you know it's all well and good for you to write this stuff but have, have you ever tried yeah. saying it to somebody because it's <laughs> yeah. it's awful right. Um, cause I, I think the story too is like, so I went and saw Star Wars on the third, on the th- when Friday night. Movies used to come out on Thursday night back in the, back then, and they would, they would stay in a, th- in a theater for like, you know, 12 weeks if it was a good movie. They wouldn't move around from theater to theater, right? But, um, so I went with my girlfriend on Friday, and then, so I, I was so blown away by this movie. I try, and I had a bunch of guys that I hung out with, you know, at, at, you know, at one of the guys' houses, and I spent all day Saturday trying to convince these guys to go see this movie, right? And then Sunday, they you know they capitulated we went and saw the you know seven o'clock showing at a different theater downtown and i remember listening to c3po and r2d2 talking to each other after they just landed on tatooine and and they're talking you know and he's like go that way you'll be lost in a moment you know all that that scene where mm-hmm. they're sort of arguing that sort of and thinking this is crap like well my friends are going to think i'm an idiot <laughs> <laughs> you know listen because now that i've actually had you know the two days to sort of and go back and listen to the dialogue it was so i was like oh my god my friends are going to think I'm I'm stupid. Thankfully, you know, they blew up the Death Star every time, so it was like you know you know people were like cheering and throwing popcorn in the air and whatever, right? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I don't know that that kind of diverges from what you're saying, but but that's the kind of to me that's the sentiment of Star Wars. Don't mess with it. Just leave it alone. You know, it's finished. I, I think I've told this story before, but my my art teacher in high school used to say every artist needs somebody behind them with a sledgehammer. Hit the artist on the head when he's done. <laughs> right. So so right. Tim, how far does that artist, go? So 
uh, so well, I can tell you as an artist, you you're never satisfied with your work, and that's what drives us to create more works, right? Is that you know you create one like I look at paintings I did when I was 20, and I kind of go, yeah, I could have done that better, or there's a glaring mistake I made there. I hope nobody ever really notices it, or hope nobody gets out a protractor and measures the angles on this thing, and I, you know, um, right? So I know there's like an egregious level of things like um, Steven Spielberg going back into ET and saying, oh no, uh, let's yeah, digitally no guns. erase those guns and have put walkie-talkies there and let's change the, the flavor of that, that scene. Okay, that's one sort of tinkering. What about remastering as an example? So, you know, Star Wars in 1977 was, yeah. you know, like the most what, basic what of stereo, I- if that, and uh, the audio was definitely not uh, THX, right. whatever the yeah. standard is, yeah. quality now, yeah. and it's certainly not 4K quality if you, you know, were to, to put, put it on your, your 4K screen and you know, it wouldn't support surround sound if you've got a system like that like how how far does that sort of thing go like sort of thing well of, i can tell you that like the beatles stuff like you probably wouldn't want to listen to that in mono which is what it was mostly recorded in or at least early right stuff. yeah yeah well a lot of it was in stereo but well it does it, it's funny because the, the, the beatles stuff is a good example because like the the box set that came out a couple of years ago i, I did buy that but like i don't know if you've ever listened to some of the early 60s recordings they used to put the music the band on one side and the singer mm-hmm. on the other side so if you turned off the left channel all you hear is the singer right like all you hear is John Lennon or Paul McCartney, but if you and if you turn off the other one, all you hear is like you know the, the music. And then later on, they got more sophisticated, and they would have like the bass on one side and the guitar on the other, and and you know, but very separated, not not sort of like it is now, where things are sort of in the mid, like they they pan them back and forth, and they're sort of in the middle. They would definitely put them on one speaker or the other, right? right? So uh, so if you ever listen to a Beatle recording from those that time, and you have a dead speaker, you're hearing different music than you've ever heard in your life, right? Um, well, so where do you follow that sort of thing, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm pushing the limits here and, and understanding the, the, well, the contention so I, I, of like I will not admit, changing so the art. What I was going to say, what I was, what I was going to say. So like some of my favorite movies, if they're like, I saw Blade Runner. I went and saw Blade Runner a couple of years ago because it, it had come back out with a sort of director's cut, right? Again, director's cut, right? Mm-hmm. And but he had gone back in and, and beefed up the music or whatever. And I saw that in the theater. And it was like one night only kind of thing. Yeah, I will go to that, right? And I, like Baby Driver by um, Edgar Wright. I went and saw that in the theater because that's where it's intended to be seen, in my opinion, right? When when Edgar Wright came and had his little film festival and he, he showed Shaun of the Dead in a theater, I went and watched it in a theater because I had mm-hmm. seen it there, right? And I remember when Star Wars came through, one of the one of the redos of Star Wars where they were back in the theater again, I had never seen um, uh, Revenge of the Sith. What's it, no, well, it depends it which one. Do you mean the originals? Like when what's they came the, out in the 90s? The, so what's the, the, the actual the third? What's the actual third movie? The third movie. What's that one? So do you mean Return of the, the Jedi? What's the movie called? Where, where See, that's a very complicated Return question, too, because, like, I, I, get what you, I get what you mean. Like, the third one used to be Return of the Jedi, but now there actually is yeah. episode three, so it's a little ambiguous. Yeah, but it, it, actually, the, the uh, Return of yeah, the Jedi. Return of the Jedi. Called? Return of the Jedi used to actually be Revenge of the Jedi. That was his original name, right? Anyway, so Return of the Jedi, the one where Luke Skywalker, t- you know, and, and Darth Vader throws the Emperor down mm-hmm. the tunnel and, you know, Luke's, and Darth Vader dies at the end. That, that movie there. I had never seen it in the theaters just because of relationships and blah, right. blah, blah, long, long, long story. But so when it came 
around, I actually went and saw it in the theater. And actually, I was living in Vancouver at the time when Star Episode Four came out. And yes, I went and saw Episode Four in the theater. Right? I've even gone to see the Phantom Menace in 3D in a theater. I may. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's quite good. Like I've, you know? uh, I have seen the original trilogy, well, the special edition versions in the theater. Um, I was two when Return of the Jedi came out, so oh. <laughs> I can't say for certain I didn't see it in the theater, but I probably didn't because I don't think my parents would have taken me at that age. Right, right, right. Huh. Yeah, no, it's, yeah. it's it, it, so yeah. Like like I'm saying, the, my point is that you know the movies like Star Wars, Shaun of the Dead, and you know Baby Driver and stuff like that are meant to be seen in that context in a theater, right? Uh, they're not meant mm-hmm. to be seen on your your 4K, you know, Blu-ray, you know, television with your surround sound and your comfy chairs at home. I mean, that's where we, to be honest with you, but where most of us consume them now or, you know, or download it onto your iPhone 6 because, you know, the, the film projector doesn't work on the flight you're on, you know, kind of thing, right? Okay, so here's an example, right? I did a painting and it just happened to be the weekend that the Columbia Space Shuttle took off for the first time, like back in 80 something, right? 82, mm-hmm. 83, whenever that was. 82, I think, right? I remember, and I, you know, it was sort of a sort of a 3D geometry thing. And I thought, okay, this, this painting needs something to make it, you know, that much better. And the, the something I added was I added the space shuttle, you know, and kind of, you know, flying off into the distance, right? And um, I was never happy with the painting. Like it was, I was thought I could do it better. And, you know, so flash forward many years later, like 10 years later or whatever it was, I guess it would have been 90, oh, uh, I guess late 80s, right? And you'll know where I'm going with this because, so I redid the painting and I did a much better uh, rendering of it. I, you know, it was more geometrically precise and all that kind of stuff and better effects and looks, looks a much mm-hmm. better painting, right? And I happened to be painting it the day the Columbia blew up, mm. right? So I intended intentionally did not put the Columbia in that painting, right? But so even in my own work, when I want to redo my own work, I do another piece. I don't go back and paint over right. the original one. So to right. recap, um, special editions, no, <laughs> ET, no, or, or you know, n- non-guns. E- I don't mind ET. special editions. I don't mind special editions, but don't take away my right to see the original piece of art in its original sure. context, right? I mean, admittedly, I can't go to Paris in 1913 and see, you know, Damoiselle Dam you know, the first time it was exhibited, like, you know, that's not going to happen, right? Like, there's no such thing as a TARDIS. I can't jump in it and go back and see, you know, what a flop it was when it was first right. introduced, you know? Because, um, like, Demoiselle Damion, I'm using that one as, as a, as a, as a, as a, as a um, milestone because when it came out, it was like people thought, oh my God, what the hell is this, right? And now it hangs in the Metropolitan Museum of Modern Art, right? And, and we study it in art and we talk about it. We talk about how the paint was put down and how the characters were drawn and all that kind of stuff and, and what amazing painting it was because like star wars it put it took the level of art and craftsmanship to a new level right so if you remember star wars was one of the first ones where ilm came in and did motion capture with actual mm-hmm. models right um before that you know like if you go back and watch buck rogers or go back and watch flash gordon you know you see the spaceship flying along you know in in the sky and the smoke is blowing up <laughs> because you know yeah yeah they didn't <laughs> have the 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 compositing style yeah, exactly. of, of model work that uh, ILM ended up right. doing for Star Wars. And to me in in movie in movie lore or movie history or whatever, Star Wars was another touch a touch point or another milestone in in movie making cuz I mean after that everybody did motion capture. There was silent running, there was, you know, the Star Trek first movie, the what's it called? The motion the picture? Star Trek mm-hmm. the movie, right? Um, you know, there was like, you know, 
Blade Runner even used some of that stuff. And, you know, they started using actual, what do you call it, live effects where they, where they use, you know, practical effects, they call it, where they actually use physical cars, you know, the flying car is actually a car that goes up and down on a rig and, you know, with smoke coming out, it looks like it's floating kind of thing in Blade Runner, right? Um, As opposed to all being CGI. And then, you know, you move through time and then you get to like Avatar where the whole, like Avatar, a lot of the movie is all CG rendered, which... Yeah, so there, and if I catch the gist of where you're going with this, the nice thing of having those like practical effects was that they still hold up as being like feeling real uh, a lot better than realistic. Yeah, I exactly. mean, I've, I've seen some CGI. I was like, oh man, that that looked really good at the time. Now it looks like garbage, right? It, it, like you, the art has advanced so much that that early CGI really sort of sticks out. Whereas, like if you compare the uh, climactic scene in Aliens, right, where Ripley is in the construction robot power. Yeah suit yeah. and she's facing off against the queen alien that looks hella good it look it still feels really scary right like that thing is really there yeah, yeah. is like what your reptilian brain is thinking whereas i think if they were to redo that movie now it wouldn't have that same aspect to it because there would be something just a little bit off with the cgi today and 10 years from now that same cgi based movie would be like oh man that's so garbage like look how fake that is right we've got we got pixel shaders that, that do a much better job of of handling this. Well, that's a good example, like, because the Aliens movie by Ridley Scott, I think the second one was done by James Cameron when you're talking about Aliens, right? But the, the original Aliens movie by Ridley Scott, it was a guy in a suit, right? Mm-hmm. We all know that, right? But they never showed a nut, they never showed a full frame shot of the monster in that in that movie. In fact, there's a behind the scenes scene where you can sort of see the monster in profile and you can totally see it. Oh, it's a yeah. guy in a suit, right? In fact, they even named the actor who plays the alien in all these movies, right? But the, the thing, the magic about the original um, Aliens movie was they never really showed you full on, you know, like a full frame shot of the alien. Like it was all, it was just enough to scare the shit out right. of you, right? Oh, there goes, there goes our rating. <laughs> you can but, always you know, edit it in post. But, yeah. Just bleep it. <laughs> that's true. That's true. But I mean, so, but my, like the, that was the whole, that was the beauty of that movie, of that Aliens movie. The other thing about Aliens that was, was really interesting, and I don't know if you know this or not, or, or even realize this or not, but it was one of the first times when a female was the heroine of a movie, especially a sci-fi movie, right? Right. And although there is sort of like the weird, like underwear sort of scene, um, and in retrospect, it sits a little weird for like modern audiences, but really not sort of pressed forward as this is a sex symbol kind of character, right? right? right, Which, uh, the, the modern Wonder Woman movie actually does a really good job of making her seem like an incredible, like warrior first and not so much a, Hey, look at me, I'm a supermodel. She's still a really attractive woman, though, right? Like, there's still some compromise there, um, as opposed to Sigourney Weaver's character you know, of Lieutenant Ripley, who is like, this is a normal, everyday person who has overcome the odds, right? This isn't like, oh, let's throw it in there with Megan Fox or something to, you know, to get all the tickets from the fans. Like, Sigourney Weaver was not as known uh, then, uh, certainly for Aliens, much more so because of the Alien movie, but not in that lead starring role for Alien, for sure. Yeah, I mean, and I mentioned it before, like Phantom Menace you know um i think i've talked about on the roundabout and maybe this show too like like i remember specifically that jar jar binks was one of the jar jar binks and all his whole gungan society was completely Uh cgi right um and that was the first time that that many scenes in a movie were done in cgi right and i don't know if you remember like you you talked about a movie that was amazing at the time but like in retrospect crap and to be honest with you i was looking at with adult eyes um do you remember there was a movie called final fantasy final fantasy the Um, spirit 
it was within. all done yeah, in CGI. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and Patrick Stewart was one of the voices in it and stuff like that. Go back and watch that movie. Their foreheads don't move like because yeah. because the technology to do that wasn't there, right? But uh, I was watching Arrival the other day on Netflix. Now that's on Netflix, uh, great movie by the way. If you haven't seen Arrival, I, I stop the podcast, go watch Arrival, and come back, and you won't you won't, you won't regret it. But um, there's a scene there where she goes into the alien ship, like into their environment, and all of a sudden, you, as she's and it's a great mix of of practical like filming of her and all her hair is done in CGI, and it it just shows you how far we've come in terms of CGI rendering abilities that they're able to you know make her hair look spacey but realistic, like believable, right? You know, um, yeah. But I mean, again, that Final Fantasy Spirits Within that again was another milestone in movie making, right? Because it was it was one of the first movies where they had actors, you know, that wasn't anim- like hand-drawn animation um, voicing, you know, these these uh, computer-rendered people. And again, like you're a gamer, right? You mm-hmm. know that, that, you know, the cut scenes that you see in games, I don't know, I don't know how evolved they've come, but, you know, back in, you know, back in the PlayStation 1 or PlayStation 2 days, you know, you'd have, or even, or even on the Mac where you're playing like things like Warcraft or, you know, um, not the current Warcraft, but the, the early Warcraft 3 or mm-hmm. whatever, um, you would have like, you know, really rinky-dink uh, sprites that you were using for, for playing the game, but occasionally they would cut to this battle scene where this, like, you know, denouement would happen. Even in Laura Croft, they did the same thing. But now, computer rendering, or the devices we're playing these games on, like the, you know, the PlayStation 4 and the and the Xbox, whatever the hell it's called. The confusingly named <laughs> Xbox One, which is the third in the one. series. I was going to say One, but I wasn't sure if I was going to be you know, yelled at because <laughs> it was 360 before Yeah, and that Xbox before right? that, which used but to anyway. be informally called yeah. Xbox, you know, the first Xbox, Xbox One, and then they came with Xbox right. One, which is the third right. one, which is very terribly confusing. Yeah, yeah. So almost like the way Apple used the name products. But um, yeah, so so what I was saying is, like, I think now, like now we're playing with characters that look like they were in, in those cutscenes from like 10 years ago or 15 years ago, right? Like they're that well, like they, they can render the entire world and, you know, have the detail and all that kind of stuff and have the fabric flowing and, you know, characters can get wet and be dry and, you know, catch fire and things like that. And it looks visually realistic, right? That's because the the art has evolved to make it that that good. I, mean, it's, it's, I don't know if you remember the talk that I gave at, at um, Indie Desktop. I talked about how, you know, we started off with flat, you know, uh, cave paintings and then we went to, into the Egyptians where everything was f- facing forward and they just kind of, you know, they bent their elbows a little bit. And then as you move forward into the Renaissance period, you had painters like Caravaggio who could have a guy reaching out of the painting while he's gesturing as he's talking to Christ, like he's right. got his arms, you know, his arm, his right arm is going out into the, into the space where we're standing, and his left arm is way, you know, kind of back, and he's like got his, he's, you know, and, and the realistic shading, and and it looks like a candlelit image of this guy talking to Christ, right? And as you know, art, the technique of art evolved to the point where you know, going from these really sort of plastic representational iconography to something that looks like a realistic man in space, right? Like in three D space. Right, um, and those were that, that kind of technique evolved, and that's why we study artists at certain points in time because they came up with a technique or they came up with a way of, of rendering or drawing or telling a story that that made sense, right? And in the same sense that movies do that too, right? So that's why it comes back to my point: like, like don't mess with Demoiselle d'Avignon and leave Star Wars alone, right? And I think it, as an examination <laughs> here of the you know this tool set has become available and become more prevalent, uh, computer generated imagery, yeah, but the careful use of that tool and not have it be, oh, this is the tool that we use for every 
everything, I think, has been done pretty well in, in the last few years as people have sort of figured it out. And we can use two movies from the same series where the latter movie has way more special effect or uh, CGI in it that a lot of people don't think about actually is CGI because it's done so well and so uh, sort of understated, right? right. Like yeah, yeah. Comparing Star Wars Episode One, The Phantom Menace, and Episode Seven, The Force Awakens, which just came out recently, there yeah, there Rogue actually One, are yeah. more CGI instances in that, even though people are like, what? No, it all looked real. It's like, well, that's because a lot of it was, right? Like the huge problem that Episode yeah, One yeah. suffered from is it said CGI for everything, which sort of limited the, the possibilities there and meant that there was a lot of stuff being done. And when you see the behind the scenes, I'm like, dude, they're just in a conference room. Like you couldn't have had a set designer come in and do this stuff. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> there's no, yeah. why would you waste time and money and effort on CGI for this? Right? Like, yeah, because yeah. it could. Whereas yeah, now, yeah. you know, for The Force Awakens, like, yeah, they, they just got some people and they sat in an actual conference room and they use the CGI for things like, oh, um, we want more explosion to come out of this thing. Yeah, when the stormtroopers get knocked over, they actually knock over a stuntman, yeah, right? BB-8, you know, that, that droid character, like, he yeah, actually he real, is there right? except yeah. for when he's not, right? Like, the handful of times that it would not have been practical to have the real um, the real robot puppet uh, for, for some scenes. Yeah, but for yeah. the most part, like, it's a nice, careful blend of we use real for the most part, and when we can't use real, we use CGI, right? Like, um, Jurassic Park holds up pretty well for this same purpose, where they used a lot of puppets, especially for the close-up shots of, like, the T-Rex and the Velociraptors. And I think it looks a lot better um, in a lot of respects than Jurassic World does, which came out, like, 20 years later, right? right? Yeah. With the, yeah, with 500 ra- raptors. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. It looks, I mean, as, as cool as that scene is with, with Chris Pratt and all the, the Velociraptors, it, it's way more scary to have, like, those little kids with the raptor face, like, right over their head in the kitchen, right? It's like, there's an actual thing yeah. there. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's sort of the lesson here of, like, using restraints. Well, so, but, but, but using a technology example, just really quickly on, like, take store, Toy Story for whatever reason, for, for one thing, right? They had server farms of SGI computers, mm-hmm. right? That would take years to render that entire movie. Like, I took it, I think they worked on that, that movie took six years to make, and it, and it was like, it most of that time was just rendering, right? It's like, like their build, Jenkins is amazing compared to their <laughs> build servers, right? You know? But what I was going to say, too, is, so, okay, I love Rogue One. Don't get me wrong. I love Rogue One. However, put Rogue One on and look at the character, the Peter Cushing character, uh, is it Gumper, Governor Tarkin? Yep. Right? Look at his character. Look at his face when he's talking to anybody on that screen. And then go back and watch Star Wars and look at the actual real actor. And you'll see that they got his voice down pretty good. They've got his, his face down pretty good. But if you look at the muscles in his face, they don't move the same. When he's like, like when he was being, when that actor was being cynical, they were muscles in his cheek and stuff like that, that were, and his forehead that were moving differently. And they totally missed the boat on that in, in uh, Rogue One. They had the technology to do it. I don't know why they didn't carefully study what this guy did. And this, this is my artist eye going, you know what? That's a near miss, Jaime. That's a near miss. They, I you know, completely agree because I'm not opposed to the idea of uh, the CGI Grand Moff Tarkin, but, um, and I actually think there, there are even the Leia one at the end, right? Right, right. At least that one was short. Spoilers, so like, spoilers. Quite, Sorry, spoilers. <laughs> it wasn't quite as bad. Um, I think there there actually are some parts of those scenes that he's in that are, they just look amazing. It's just like, yeah, you yeah. could show this little clip here, there's like five seconds to a person and ask them, okay, what did you notice? And they'd be like, I don't know. I was like, oh, you didn't notice there actually wasn't a real person there? Yeah. The problem is they kept him in there for minutes at a time. Yeah, the illusion just like, didn't again, work, right? Like to your point of like the alien thing of like, 
well, if it's a dude in a suit and it looks terrible, uh, don't show all of it at once, right? <laughs> you show yeah. it very carefully framed yeah. and, and show it very, very few times, kind of like the, the, the story that people say about Jaws where the robotic shark was going to show up more, but it, it kept breaking down. So they said, forget it. Let's do what we can to avoid showing the shark. And it's a much better movie for it. Right. I, thought, I was you know, just looking him up on um, Peter Cushing, looking him up on... Uh, like IMDb or something? On, uh, on the Google on the Google machine here. And he died in 1994. I thought he, I thought he was one of... Was one actor, a couple of actors, maybe it was uh, Alec Guinness, who died b- between Star Wars and uh, Return of the Jet. No, what was the other one called? Empire Strikes Back, right? Well, Alec Guinness is definitively in the Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Yeah, so. yeah. So no, but I think they filmed some of those scenes like ahead of time, or did they? Did they go back to them? I can't remember. Anyway, just I'm, you'd stop yelling at your phone. We don't care. It's not that important. <laughs> um, anyway, the the. Uh, the, uh, this isn't the Star Wars podcast, you know, we don't care. Um, although we're picking on them like crazy. Uh, what was I going to say about uh, Peter Cushing? Oh, man. So he died in 94, mm. and we were talking about Grand- the CGI Grand Moff Tarkin in, in Rogue One. Grand Moff Tarkin, yeah, that's his name, yeah, not General Tarkin. Um, mm, I had a point about that. Oh, who's so good, too? <laughs> I'll have to wait till next week, I guess. Oh, uh, well... Um, hmm. Yeah, no, but you, they, yeah, to your point, like or to to my point, they should have they should have treated him like the alien and aliens, and and because we knew who he was as soon as he was on the screen, as soon as you heard his voice, you knew who he was, right? You didn't have to be you didn't have to be staring at him and looking at the you know the the hairs coming out of his nostrils to really believe that was Peter Cushing, you know? Like yeah, they, I think there are alternatives like showing him from angles that don't show the front of his face, yeah, or um, that plus maybe hiring an actor that does look a whole lot like him and use the CG to get that last, you know, few steps that look different. I think there were a lot of options beyond the audacity, (laughs) having the audacity to try right now to completely replace a human, I think even though it's much further along than the final fantasy, the spirits within movie that you talked about, like the, yeah, yeah. the grandma talking blows those away, right? Like those are oh, like yeah. dead mannequins compared to him. And yet he still is in that uncanny Valley of, I can tell that that's not an actual person. Yeah. Well, so I, oh, I, I was going to say, but the empire strikes back. I wonder like, so, cause you know, a lot of people say, yeah, say them, what's your favorite star Wars movie? And my son will say the same thing. He says, empire strikes back is by far his favorite movie. Right. Mm-hmm. I want to find someone who's only ever seen empire strikes back and not, seen star wars right i have a couple of friends who at work who who've never seen star wars like they've never seen the, the six movies they've only seen a force awakens right which is kind of interesting. so it's interesting to get their perspective it's like i want to find people who've seen harry potter movies but never have read the books have you read the books? i've never read the books no oh and, but you have you seen the harry I've potter seen movies? all the movies yes so do you think it's all that or like do you know do you think that people who read the books are are, are space crazy or something? no i i i just has, just have not gotten into the books um but I I think the movies are really good and yeah but and i can tell you there are so many subplots like there there are there's a whole context of subplots in that in those movies that don't touch the, the, i mean like the, if you read the book like for instance i don't know if you remember there's a scene in um might be prisoner prisoner of azkaban the one where harry potter gives dobby a sock mm-hmm. right and dobby's like oh my god i can't believe you gave me a sock oh my god you know he's just blown away right well there's a whole subtext of these little house elves right they're not allowed to have clothes right they're not allowed to own things right Mm -hmm. so when harry potter gives him a sock that's a huge moment in the story right but again it's like one of these you know one of the things that they didn't have time for in the movie you know like (laughs) you know like the the very first movie there's i think there's a scene where they're they're, they've just gotten to school and they they spent a couple of weeks at school and then his owl flies across the 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 front of the school and it's like you know the end of the school term kind of thing like they're like in that whole story there was a whole thing about you know hermione and 
all the books she she like at one point is one of the stories. I think it's the Goblet of Fire. No, that's not. It's uh, the one with the Hufflegriff bird or whatever the thing that creature is called. Um, where Hermione has that little watch where she can go back through time. Do you know? Do you remember that one? Yeah. Oh. oh okay. Let's see here. So uh, is the werewolf one? Was that not Azkaban? That's Azkaban. I don't remember. I don't remember which, yeah, it's got to be. It, it might be Azkaban. It might be. Or, yeah. It was the one with yeah the one with the werewolves and stuff. Yeah. Like that, I think right. Anyway, but there's remember uh, uh, Hagrid's in the cla- in the in the um, in his cottage and and uh, the inspector guy, the head inspector, I don't know, Ministry of Magic or whatever guy, is coming to take the the Hufflepuff away, and and Harry Potter and Hermione go and steal mm-hmm. it, and then at one point she goes back and well, that's a whole story, the whole subplot about her taking three courses at a time, like like right. you know how we were just talking about about uh, three sixty I dev being four tracks, and how are we going to manage that? Like you know, like even though you, even though you're at the conference, you're going to miss you know three quarters of the conference, right? Um, like imagine Hermione had, and I think it was I forget the name of the McGonagall. I think was the the teacher who gave who gave her this watch and taught her how to use it, so she could actually take three or four classes at the same time. Right, and they they and hinted at briefly really, in really, the movie, but definitely not an entire yeah, subplot but, about it as you're specifying here. Yeah. So all through the book, like you know, she would kind of show up, and and Ron and Harry would look at her and go, "Where did you come from?" Kind of thing, you know, and she just kind of popped into the room, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was kind of, uh, but again, I, I, that's, so my point about that is that my point is that, um, I think it, it's it, 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 to get into your head and sort of understand what you really like about the, the Harry Potter movies versus, you know, how, someone who's read the books and gone to the, I mean, cause there's a level of disappointment as you can imagine, or there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a kind of different, you kind of have to tell the story differently in a movie context because you can't get that many words into a movie, you know, you can't get that much descriptive copy into a movie yeah i, just, I think for know, me movies movies would be years long right if, people, yeah. people think i'm crazy when i say this but i say look if you have a choice right like you know if you were a harry potter fan from book one you really didn't have a choice all you had was the books themselves and it was right, years yeah. later that they actually started making the movies so there's not much you can do there but i'd say now if you've never read the books and you've never watched the movies i'm a fan of the philosophy of i want to start good and get to great what does that mean i think you <laughs> watch the movies first and then you read the book because no matter how much you know something might be a a cultural touchstone or it might be um you know a classic and an academy awards or anything like even stuff like the godfather movies from i've never read the books i've I've loved the the movies everybody says oh yeah the books are better it's like that's a constant refrain the books are better better. like i I don't want to be disappointed right you you know we don't eat the cupcakes first and then go have the vegetables to trail it off with right no you you eat your vegetables and then you have the cupcakes right you you start good and then you get better well it's and then you get things like like blade runner like blade runner is one of my favorite movies too like i you know i think i i even you know converted a laser disc onto dvd so i have it on my dvd player but um and but then i went and read the book do android stream and electric sheep right and mm-hmm. it's the same but it's different right like you know the movie's much more sinister you know like it's got the whole sort of the replicants coming back to find their maker subplot which isn't i don't really remember that being in the book the book is the book's quite different right so, yeah but the, the difference is an adaptation for sure like the the hobbit book yeah. is way different than the hobbit movie 
movie series. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. For many reasons. Well, and also, like, there's also the Rankin-Bass Hobbit. I don't know if you've seen the Hobbit cartoon that was done by Rankin-Bass, you know, the famous animating company. Yeah, the rotoscoped one. I, I might have seen it a long time ago. I, I definitely have not seen it in years, you know, recently. Well, I have a copy of it on, I think I might have a copy of it on DVD, but I have a copy for sure on VHS, but... Um, well, okay, let me answer the other question first before I go into the, some, some Hobbit-related discussion here. So, for the Star Wars thing, my favorite movie of all the Star Wars movies is The Empire Strikes Back. I think it's okay. uh, the best Star Wars entry. However, I think that Star does, can, Wars... Does it stand on its own, though? Does it stand on its and, own as a single and that's movie? The however, however, the better movie in general is A New Hope, right? The original 1977 Star Wars, because it is fully compact like you come in it's sort of like the you know the middle of things going on you know it's like an end media res sort of thing but there's enough that you're given that like okay i understand what's happening and you have a very satisfying conclusion the empire strikes back has none of that you start in media res you have to know all of this backstory to make any sense whatsoever of these relationships and it ends very unsatisfyingly like with a cliffhanger you want to know more and it's a much it's a much more complicated movie because it benefits from a lot of those things and that's why it's like my favorite i'm like wow the total is just spot on here uh, and there's a lot of classic moments but i think i answer the question of what's which is the best movie and i'm like well i think it's the original star wars is the best one none of the other series entries um stand alone right even the uh, not Empire, uh the phantom menace doesn't stand alone it, it hints and and gives you right. a little bit of winks and and elbow nudges like uh, uh remember this thing from the original trilogy that make no sense whatsoever if you didn't already know the lore yeah uh i remember a criticism of the lord of the Rings. Rings, uh, particularly the the Fellowship of the Ring, was like uh, this. Seems like when Obi Wan sacrifices himself. I'm referencing, of course, yeah, uh, when yeah. they're in the bridge and their uh, Gandalf sacrifices himself to fight the Balrog. I'm like, uh, this book came out in the 50s, long before Star Wars was a thing, right? Oh, <laughs> like, right. forget yeah, about yeah, yeah. like character archetypes. Like that literal, you know, inspiration was there. Obi Wan equals Gandalf. Gandalf equals Obi Wan in these books. Okay, okay. Let's let's take this back to context. I mentioned earlier about this whole whether Star Wars was had this whole world built around it, and I don't think it did. Right? It had maybe a sort of a, a theory behind it, right? But authors like J.R. Tolkien and Isaac Asimov, you know, they built an entire world before they started writing in their minds or on paper or whatever before they started writing the stories. Like so, as um, as J.R. Tolkien was writing The Hobbit, he kind of invented this world in which these people live, right? And he must have had like when he when he had the Ring of Power. Right, he or what do they call it? The, the One Ring, mm-hmm. right? When when Bilbo gets that from Gollum, he must have in his mind's eye had a, a, a backstory about the ring, right, and where it came from, and why it had this magical power and that kind of stuff. Or or did he, right? Um, because when he sat down to write the Lord of the Rings, you know, he had this whole sort of Game of Thrones kind of like you know giant landscape, right? So you know, I do yeah, wonder about so, that. Like, I, I know there is like, history. You can't compare George Lucas to Jared Tolkien. I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, he basically did this whole thing because he was a linguist right and right. he created this you know these languages like elvish and everything it's like oh maybe i should do something here and the lord of the rings itself reads kind of like the bible it's very very dense and has a lot of description in it that doesn't make any sense unless you view it as sort of like a biblical equivalent for that he was creating there and right, right. coming back to like the hobbit piece i kind of wonder if the reason the hobbit sort of suffers a little bit um is that they tried to make it be as epic as the lord of the rings and when i've read both you know sets of books the hobbit
Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, yes, there is some connectivity there. And I think it was really cool the way that Tolkien got that to work. But the tone is so different. Like the Hobbit yeah, is like yeah. for much younger children, right? And yeah. I don't know, like say they're eight to 10, maybe it, it reads that style. It has a lot more whimsy and, and magic and, and wonder to it. And Lord of the Rings is much more like teenager, you know, young adult sort of thing of like That's people true, are yeah. dying yeah. and this is serious. And I think or even adults, if yeah. you had had yeah. the Hobbit series come out or Hobbit movie come out first and then Lord of the Rings, it probably works a little bit better than here's this grand epic saga. And then here later, here, let's take this other movie that isn't really meant to be grand epic saga and have it work, right? Like, like imagine if I mentioned the, the Balrog scene in Lord of the Rings. Imagine if the Balrog was like talking to Gandalf. It wouldn't play right. the same, right? Like it's better to have it yeah. be uh, essentially a mindless beast mm-hmm. and smile. Rancor, right? Huh? What's that? <laughs> it's the Rancor. Right. And, and Smaug in The Hobbit speaks and kind of entertainingly so as, as uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, but it feels really weird tonally. And like, uh, you yeah, got yeah. dragons that speak in this world that, that doesn't fit with a world of mindless Balrogs, right? <laughs> like it, it, tonally, it seems very weird. And that's why I feel like, yeah, the, the Hobbit is more like a younger kid's story and the deep dark stuff is in Lord of the Rings. That's much more in that high fantasy sort of setting. Yeah. Well, when you get around to reading, um, Harry Potter. Um, I, I I started reading Harry Potter when when the um, the uh, Goblet of Fire had come out, but I, I started with the first book. The first book is written like a book for eleven year olds, right? It's written very juvenile and very easy to like. You'll you'll whip through it, right? Mm-hmm. But the later books you get into are you know they're much more. There's a lot more going on. There's much more you know death and destruction and you know havoc and whatever. And and also maybe maybe um, uh, what's her name's uh, writing um, J.K. got Rowling? much better. J.K. Rowling, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe her writing got better. Um, her writing style got better. But um, yeah, like when you, you go, when when you do get around to reading that book, you'll see what I mean. Like it's very it's very juvenile at first, and then and then at the first book entirely, right? Like it's very it's a very easy read. And but as as you read into the later stories, they get harder and harder to read, right? So there's more going on, right? Yeah, I, I do wonder how much of that was rolling skill and how much of it was more like I think it was skill. It, I think it was like, it's kind of more. I mean, the problems of what's Harry like eleven at the beginning of the of the yeah. books. Exactly. And 17, yeah. like those problems are so radically different. And so it is kind of <laughs> entertaining and funny how in the same series, you know, Philosopher's Stone, Sorcerer's Stone is more like, oh no, I may fail my potions class. This sucks so bad, yeah. you know? Yeah. And in the, in the Deathly Hallows, it's like, uh, Harry, you literally have to sacrifice and die. And people are nice. being murdered all around you um, yeah, yeah. to deal with this problem. I was like, well, okay, this is totally different, but at least there's a, there's a progression there right you hypothetically grow up with harry assuming you started as a young kid reading these as as he grows yeah. up you grow up too so i'd be very curious to see the sort of differences between people who you know read the books as they were going along you know and were already adults or yeah, people yeah. who read the books as they were kids and went along and then well, people who are kids and adults now who are reading through the books straight through and kind of see like how do they feel about that does it feel weird did, did you notice the difference was it more obvious to yeah, you yeah. reading, you know, being able to binge read them versus the people who had to wait you know, like a year or two in between, um, in between yeah. books. 
Anyway, this is going to be impossible to edit because it's like almost like a whole show unto itself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure how we ended up on this. So we should wrap path. up the uh, the the, uh, the Star Wars after show. <laughs> I'm telling you, this is if we had you know audio engineer interns, yeah. communications yeah. and broadcasting interns, it would be fantastic to do these kinds of extra shows because I'd love well, to have this sort of conversation we just had, but yeah. throw in Tammy into the mix and like let's yeah. talk about zombies here, right? We we broached on yeah. the you know do zombies. Zombies float. Can they swim? Sure, does Mike? Yeah. Does zombie well, Michael yeah. Phelps? Does he swim? Time inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.